From KUT News in the Texas Tribune and live from KLRU's Studio 6A, this is The Ticket. We demand our liberty. That American dream is pivotal Excellent. for the future of our country. Americans have come back from some pretty tough economic times. But we can and must do better. And we are going to make our country great again. I'm Ben Philpot. And I'm Jay Root. Tonight, it's the third and final presidential debate, and we've got a nice crowd of people here to watch it with us. Uh, now, while we're all on the edge of our seat to see what happens tonight, Jay and I want to actually go beyond the debate and even the election to talk about the future of the Republican and Democratic parties in Texas. So we're going to talk with Lizzie Burr and Deirdre DeLisi about what happens next after this brawl of a campaign. And because we know some of you have been stressed out a little bit during this election, we've invited some local comedians to lighten the mood with some debate humor. But first, uh, Jay, I think we've been uh, over and over, everyone's been over and over the first and second debates. So instead of talking about what we've seen already, let's just talk about some of the recent polls for this election, specifically some recent polls in Texas. Uh, you and I, both longtime political reporters, how many emails have you gotten saying, no, no, really, three points in Texas? What's that about? No, it's crazy. I mean, um, Texas right now is, is in some polls within the margin of error. Um, and basically, you see this pattern playing out in red states where basically right now Hillary Clinton is outperforming Barack Obama in these red states and in, in, in what he did in the red states in 2012. Right. Um, and, and you know, obviously, Texas, uh, places like Texas and Georgia now are in play, um, which is um, Arizona. She's Arizona. Up and she's up yeah. in Arizona. So um, this is a, an unusual election, to say the least. You know what my favorite uh, poll result lately is, though? Yeah, is the Washington Post had this poll, and it said that it had like six states where, uh, mostly in the South, where people thought that if Hillary Clinton uh, gets elected, we're going to hell in a handbasket. And then there's like 10 states, and mostly in the Northeast, liberal states, that think if Donald Trump gets elected, we're going to hell in a handbasket. And then there's like most states, 35 st states or so, 34, that say that no matter who gets elected, <laughs> we're going to hell in a handbasket. Yeah, we're, we're kind of at that place in America right now. <laughs> Um, you know, I, I think it's been interesting looking, and I, I spent some time looking at all the, uh, the polls. Uh, 538.com, a great website that, uh, you know, compiles all these polls and kind of gives its own forecast about the race. But they've, uh, they've, they've listed about 30 polls that have done in Texas over the last two years on this presidential race. And, you know, there's been a lot of talk nationally about Donald Trump's ceiling nationally. Maybe it's around 42%. You know, he can't really quite get up above that. But uh, in those 30 Texas polls, Hillary Clinton's got a ceiling, too. It's about 40 to 42 percent. And so, yeah, the race uh, appears to be tightening based on the last three or four polls that we've seen out. But it's tightening by Donald Trump dropping. It's not necessarily tightening by Hillary Clinton going up. She maybe has moved up from, from 38 to 40 uh, but still nowhere near a majority, but 
Donald Trump has come down in those polls. And I'm sure there's at least one or two additional Texas polls, which is really funny to say this close to an election, that there might be one or two additional Texas polls in the field right now. But uh, it'll be really interesting to see what those come up with. Well, and Hillary Clinton has an ad out, as we know. Oh, right. Which is, uh, you know, very little money uh, being spent on it. Uh, Ross Ramsey said that she probably spent more on barbecue and shrimp at her fundraisers here than she did on the ads. Well, that's, but, that's a good idea. But just the fact that she that there you know that there is an ad out there is is pretty unusual. Yeah, it's uh, only in the big markets, um, and apparently not as much as was originally reported. I think the original report was like you know a full week in the Texas largest markets, like two million dollars. But it's not that now. Or? I think it was a hundred thousand yeah, dollars, which, so. as Deirdre will be able to tell us, is uh, <laughs> not much. Hundred thousand dollars in uh, across Texas in the four large markets. That's that's like the stuff they play at two a.m. Something like that. Okay. Um, well, it uh, it is going to be interesting. Oh, I, the other thing about the Texas polls, people keep asking. So, what does that mean for the down ballot races? And uh, it may or may not shock you to know that even if Hillary Clinton wins Texas, odds are one congressional seat will flip. And that was a congressional seat that was already uh, a, a swing seat and a possibility of flipping before we even thought about uh, you know, Hillary Clinton tightening the polls here in Texas. That's uh, Congressman Hurd's seat, which runs from San Antonio down to the, uh, the Valley. Um, so yeah, that's because of redistricting and because even if Hillary were to win, we're not talking about you know 55% of the vote. Uh, this, isn't, this isn't turning Texas blue. No, but I'm going to be watching Harris County a lot because um, you've got a lot of court races there. That's, right. that's a, a very purple county. Um, and if you have sort of a, a really good Democratic year, you could have you know those judgeships and all that, sort of what happened in Dallas County in 2006. <laughs> Texas turning purple, Texas turning blue. Before we jump off into the fever dreams of Battleground Texas, let's take a trip through the reality of the Texas electorate. Joining us tonight to do that are Lizzie Burr, publisher of the Burnt Orange Report, and Deirdre DeLisi, a partner at DeLisi Communications and former longtime aide to Governor Rick Perry, who, as I'm told, is in the spin room tonight for Donald Trump, which is... So maybe there's a reason to... It's a different kind of spinning than from his Dancing with the Stars days. Yeah. <laughs> ah, those salad days. I could days. do comedy, too. <laughs> or you, for a minute, you thought that you were the comedy act tonight with, with Lizzie. You were going to do a little tag team. Uh, so why don't, we, uh, why don't we just start with... We were just talking about the polls. Um, initial thoughts. Jay and I gave our opinions on it. What are you all thinking about? When you see these, when you see these race the race tightening here, okay. I mean, there are several polls, and so you know, one poll is interesting, two polls is more interesting, three polls is a trend. I, Texas is not immune to national trends, so if it's if if Trump is having troubles nationally, he's going to have troubles in Texas as well. That said, there's a long time between here and election day, and at the end of the day, I fully expect Trump's going to win Texas. He's going to win. My prediction is he'll win it in the high single digits, which sounds like a lot, but that's, you know, that's lower than Mitt Romney did. Romney won Texas with 12%. I don't think Trump's going to do that. Um, it may have some negative impact down the ballot, but frankly, I think those races that are 
that are in trouble right now that are hotly contested in Texas, like the congressional race you were talking about, was we were going to be in the situation with that congressional race no matter who was on the ticket. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's Texas is going to be closer than we, when we've seen in previous presidential elections, but I firmly expect Texas to, to stay Republican. Now, Lizzie, you and I were talking earlier about maybe some of those even further down the ballot races, like Jay brought up, Harris County, Dallas County. Um, what, what do you look at for this? Well, I think, first of all, that the fact that we're even talking about a single-digit win by Trump is a pretty significant thing. Um, for us to go from, I've just got the numbers here, in 2000, uh, George Bush carried the state by 21%. He carried it in 2004, 23, 2008, McCain 12 over Obama, President Obama. And then actually my numbers are that um, it was a 16-point victory by Mitt Romney over President Obama. And let's throw in real quickly Governor Abbott. Was that, that was closer to 20, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. okay. Absolutely. So this is a pretty significant, and I was in complete state of disbelief when the first poll came out, and when the second poll came out, and when the third poll came out, and there's going to be another poll that's come out, and I'm going to be, continue to be in a state of disbelief, um, because I can't believe the Republicans chose Donald Trump to be their candidate. So I'm sorry, but, but I look at this and I'm thinking, this is clearly not what the plan would have been from the Republican leadership in our state to have to lose ground rather than gain ground. And now a presidential year is always a better year for Democrats in Texas than the midterm, our governor's years. But this one is shaping up to be quite an opportunity for Democrats and independents and even Republicans who are deeply uncomfortable with Donald Trump to at least consider the possibility that there are more people who share their thoughts about what government is worth and that we need to elect people who believe that government is worth something. So the races I'm looking at, I will say, in Dallas, this comes down to some house races. And these are races that we're going to be contesting. State house races. State houses, sorry, right, not, not congressional races. Um, and they're tightening. They're tightening. I got a couple of calls this morning. People knew I was going to be here, and they're like, you won't believe it, but we are seeing continued tightening in these small Dallas, um, Irving, uh, North Dallas races, um, and they're excited. You know, what's interesting is that it's not anything that the Democrats did. It's really just because Donald Trump has been such a dumpster fire. Yeah. Um, and that's, um, a, that, you know, that's, that's a term in the AP <laughs> style book, just so everyone knows. I mean, you I'm know, not kidding. <laughs> um, you know, really, Donald Trump has been able to do what the Democrats haven't been able to do for themselves, which is yeah. right. And so, but let me ask you, Deirdre, what okay. do, you, do you? Okay, so let's just let's let's assume that it's going to be closer here. Let's assume that it's even going to be like way closer, like two or three points or something. Okay, what, what kind? What is the? Is it would people would you know the donor community or whatever? Are people going to look at that and go, "Hey, Texas is ripe for a takeover"? They're going to pour money in here, or they're going to go, this is just a fluke. And I, I, This is an anomaly. I don't think anyone's going to look at this presidential cycle and think, well, Donald Trump is really you know, the pulse on the Republican Party, either nationally or in Texas. And God bless them, let the Democrats come and pour a ton of money into Texas. And in two years, they're going to go up in a gubernatorial race against an incredibly popular governor who's got like 25 or $30 million in the bank today. 
you know, God only knows how much he's going to have in the bank in two years from now. So, uh, you know, I think it's an anomaly until you, until you can show me that there is movement in Texas away from the Republican leadership and the Republican principles. I, I'm not too concerned about it. And I think, and, and, and on top of that, I mean, this is sort of a situation where I think the Democrats, the day after the election, may woke up, may wake up and say, oh, "Crap, the dog caught the bumper." You know, they're gonna they're gonna own it. And Hillary Clinton is not only deeply unpopular among Republicans and Independents, but she's got problems in her own party. And I think we're I think the good news is for people like me is that we're gonna have a, a split leadership in Washington. We'll have a Republican Congress. I, there's no indication to show that we're gonna lose Congress. We'll have uh, a Democrat president if the polls hold as they are today and nothing will get done, and I am here today to predict that 2018 will be a terrible midterm election for President Hillary Clinton and her party. So, what about you know, that, Lizzie? You agree with that? Well, I, I think that, first of all, Dan Patrick has got a lot at stake in this particular election right now. And he has been, and we saw with Ted Cruz and that endorsement that is going to be biting him in the ass for a very long time. And losing that shred of dignity he seemed to try to have, um, it was a stretch, uh, that Lieutenant Governor Patrick wants everyone to do things his way. And this election is going to show that not everyone shares his beliefs to do it exactly his way. And putting this back together I think will be an interesting process to see what he does. Um, I, I honestly do think that the Republican leadership in this state is aligned 100% with Donald Trump with the exception of Congresswoman Kay Granger and Congressman Will Hurd who came out against Trump in a very, very contested swing district election. Everybody else has condemned Trump but not stepped away and not said that this was not was not our Texas values. And I really do wonder about that, if that has a long-term impact. I agree we could spend a lot of money in Texas. It's going to take a long time. It's why that ad spend, it's the beginning. It's not going to be one cycle, two cycles. And we don't anticipate having a super terrific 2018. But I will say, I think this election sets up Democratic possibilities in a very different way than we would have predicted in March. But Trump won't be on the ballot anymore. Trump will be gone, and you know, uh, Hillary, if she wins, will obviously be in the White House, and that will be who everyone's running against. Yeah, and the playbook is going to be pretty clear. I mean, we've seen it for the last eight years with Obama. We oppose we the Republican leadership opposes his policies, and we've had, uh, you know, uh, you know, we it's very popular to sue the federal government based on the policies that. The administration's pursued. I think you're going to continue to see that pattern in Texas, and I think it's going to be, you know, I, I think it's going to work well. I, you know, and the, the, the other problem the Democrats have in Texas is, is not a national problem, but it certainly is a Texas problem, is the bench is really thin. So to run statewide takes a lot of discipline, a lot of money, a lot of hard work. And, 
even now with this Trump phenomenon going on and the weakness, or a perceived weakness, I don't believe there is, but this perception that two years, four years down the road, where are the folks that are laying the groundwork today to be able to run in two years, four years, six years? Because that's the type of lead up you need in order to be able to run statewide in Texas. I mean, you've seen that going back to Rick Perry and Kay Bailey Hutchison's days when they were the sort of the leading edge of the Republican revolution in Texas. So what about, um, do you not feel like this election could have any, uh, could make problems in the 2018 Republican primary for governor, lieutenant governor, uh, U.S. senator? Or that's 2020. No, that's, no, no, we have that's it. Okay. Well, Ted Cruz, Cruz is, is up. up. Yeah, yeah. Cruz okay. is up. Um, you, you know, I, I don't. I don't see there being uh, a Donald Trump issue at this point in the next cycle. Um, in fact, I think what's going to determine the next cycle more than anything is going to be the next legislative session, because it's going to be a tough one. Um, but, you know, absent some dramatic news, I, I think if, to the extent that current leadership wants to run again, they're going to be successful in a primary. Um, but I, I, don't, I don't see much Trump hangover in Texas, frankly. Lizzie, uh, she brought up the legislature and that it could be a tough session. I mean, you know, uh, uh, the Wall Street Journal had a fascinating headline the other day, which um, said that Texas is now a drag on the national economy. That's not the kind of headline we're used to seeing. We, we hear about the Texas miracle and how great Texas is, but oil prices have been stuck at 50 or below for like two years now, or for a very long time. And um, you know, the uh, we're not going to have near as much money. So, do you see um, a possibility that? Um, even if even if you have a you know the midterm sort of situation where you have Hillary Clinton on the you know and in the White House and maybe she's an unpopular figure in Texas that you would maybe have some economic headwinds that the Democrats could make hay out of. Well, we'll see on how that goes. I, I think this session is going to be brutal, and I think it's really going to be brutal for the people of Texas. It's going to be brutal for the politicians, and they're going to be focused on that. But. The truth is we have some really, really serious problems that are not being addressed properly by our leadership. And people are starting to catch on. There is a genuine disaster in the Child Protective Services Department. And their answer from Dan Patrick is to have a summit with religious leaders. And I don't disagree that they could play a role, but I do believe we need to pay the people who are caseworkers enough money for them to be paid. And so... These are the issues that are going to come up in this session. And the people of Texas, and I have to say the journalists in Texas, are doing an excellent job of reporting things that are happening in our state government. And I know that we'll be fighting over vouchers. We will be fighting over property taxes. We will be fighting over school finance. But there are other issues that are where people are even more at risk that I think will be coming up. Now, to be before, fair. Before you jump in, let's give a little bit of background that the session starts in January. In Texas, we have sessions every odd, a regular session that lasts for 140 days, every odd numbered year. It starts on uh, January 10th or 12th, I think. And, yeah, yeah, second yeah, or so, third week of January. Yeah, so go ahead. Okay, to be fair, on Child Protective Services, and I don't disagree, it's a major problem and something has to be done. And it's one of the toughest things to do in government. I had to live through this back when we 
uh, reformed adult protective services. Mm. The leadership has made child protective services reform a priority. All three members of the leadership, including the lieutenant governor, signed a, a really historic letter, I've never seen anything like it, where leadership is telling a state agency, go ahead and spend money and don't worry, we'll cover it. I mean, that's not typically how this is done. Uh, they're, they're, they're appropriating money months in advance to the agency. So they're telling them, go spend the money, go hire the people you need, go train the people you need. And in addition to that, the lieutenant governor has suggested a faith-based component. But I, I don't think it's fair to the lieutenant governor to make it sound like he thinks that's the only part of the solution because he is on board, as is the lieutenant, uh, the, sorry, the governor and the speaker with a more comprehensive solution, which is desperately needed. Uh, I wanted to ask you real quickly about the bench problem okay. uh, that she brought up, which is, um, in, in Texas, it appears to be, uh, well, let's see what the Castros will run for, and, and, and what else do you see as a bench? You know, that's, that is and our I, problem. Sorry, I'm sorry, the former... Uh, Castro is the, is the U.S. Congressman, congressman, and Julian Castro uh, is the HUD secretary. HUD secretary, thank you. They, the, certainly, uh, Representative, and um, now I'm going to blank on his title... Uh, oh, from Dallas? No. Oh, no. But that the Castro brothers are oh, okay. an extraordinary um, asset, and they are where our party is going. So we look to them as a tremendous hope, and we're grateful and hopeful for them. And I feel somewhat protective of them, frankly. I also see around the state people like Clay Jenkins. I see our own Travis Dallas County, County judge. And our own Travis County Judge Sarah Eckhart is having a different kind of leadership skill. Um, I also know that there are women across the state who are looking to run for office and who are training and doing that training now, running for school board, running for city council, doing these, you know, getting on those commissions that are, do all that hard work at the municipal level. And we don't have a deep, deep bench and it's hard to run as a Democrat in Texas. But in our major cities, they are, we are majority Democratic cities. When I explain to people outside of Texas that Dallas and Houston and San Antonio and El Paso have Democratic majorities in these cities, it's not just Austin that's a blue place. It's, Texas is a lot more complicated than people think. Well, San Antonio Democrats will have to start voting at some point. <laughs> um, sorry, San Antonio. You point know well that's taken. true. <laughs> um, uh, and I had another question, but now I can't remember what it was because I because I thought up a funny line and I said, "Oh, I'll use it." That's why you I'm don't not, need that comedy truth. That's right. Oh, I'm not the professional here. Well, are, are, how are we doing on time? Should we, we got go a couple the, more minutes? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, 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 yeah, I really don't know. Yeah, we do have a couple more minutes. So what, um, okay, so this is, the, oh, I know what I was going to ask. So before we let uh, you go, should we just go ahead and blame you for Battleground Texas and what's, <laughs> what's going, no. Uh, the serious question is why or what, um, this was a, seen as a large component to uh, Texas making, uh, Democrats making a difference in Texas. Um, you know, after 2014, they kind of dropped off the radar a little bit. What's going on there? I would say they're one of many groups working in this state in different, different ways, different places, doing different kind of work to lay the groundwork 
keep doing this. The Republican Revolution did not happen very quickly. It started in the 1980s. It did not, the Republican Party of Texas did not have control of all three major points of power in the state until 2002. So it took 20, year, 20 plus years of very hard work. And so I'd say that there are organizations, Planned Parenthood, frankly, I will stand up and say, they are doing tremendous organizing work in this state. Groups like Equality Texas. And then there are small local groups like Workers Defense Fund that work with people here on issues that are of concern to them and bring them into the political process. That's how the Republicans got to the point where they are today. The thing that's amazing, though, is that Texas is like Utah with 10 times the population. I mean, you know, we have a very diverse population. It's the largest state by far um, that regularly votes, that has routinely, you know, is a Republican lock, basically. Why has the Democratic Party been down so hard for so long? I mean, you, you've, had, you've had Democrats that have been more successful in Utah than they have here. Well, I'll say, first of all, this state has been a one-party state for almost its entire history. So it is no surprise that we have gone back. Our Constitution, when this party state was established, one-party rule and one-party power goes along with the way Texas runs. So that, that's, not just my, I, that's not just my opinion. I see that as a historic factor. And when we shifted from being a Democratic one-party state with a, fl re a left flank on the Democratic Party that worked on the business end of the Democratic Party, um, and we've done the same thing in the Republican Party, and what switched here is that the right flank has no longer working on the center part of the Republican Party. The right flank has taken over the Republican Party in this state. Now, when you think about what it's going to require to turn Texas blue, as we like to say, um, it's going to get, require a lot of people voting. And one of the things that's happened that's been the most significant and the most detrimental to our state since 1980 is the decrease in voter turnout. And I would say that that is not a, that is not a coincidence, that it is actually built in that we have a problem in our state with voter turnout. We also have a problem with our state, with our state government not encouraging and discouraging and creating all kinds of barriers to voting, including gerrymandering, which makes it difficult for people to believe they have a, a voice. Well, it looks like we're going to have pretty high turnout. I mean, we certainly had a lot of uh, voters getting registered. Do we have time for one more question or not? Yeah, if you want to give one to Deirdre. Yeah, yeah. I, I was just going to say, I mean, do you not at, at all lose a, just a tiny bit of sleep thinking that, um, you know, you've had all this voter registration, Trump is dragging this ticket down, um, and has, is, you know, looking at possibly a historic route um, at least in modern terms, and, and then the economy in Texas could be a drag on the national economy. So whether Hillary Clinton's in the White House or not, if the national economy's doing well and Texas isn't doing so well, that could really be a problem after you've activated all of these people and the Democrats have identified all these people. Do you not worry about that a little bit? Well, what I believe, what has always driven me in politics, is that policy drives good politics. And I, yes, the oil prices have been depressed for a while, but there's every indication that they're going to go up due to, you know, changes in policies from the Saudi government. 
I think you're going to, and so I think we're going to see some better economic headwinds coming into Texas. Uh, and on top of that, I think the leadership has an opportunity this legislative session to enact some policies and to take some positions that will allow Texas to remain at the economic forefront. And, and I think if that happens, so that's the policy side. And then on the political side, having been participatory in it for as long as I have and knowing the people who are involved in Republican politics in Texas, we're at the, lead, the, the these are the folks who are at the leading edge of targeting folks, targeting messages, and turning people out to vote, to vote for Republicans. Um, I, and I think that's the difference between Republicans and Democrats in Texas. The Democrat Party maybe have been doing a great job of that nationally, but not hasn't translated into Texas. We've taken a lot of those lessons learned at the national level and applied them in Texas, and I think that's why you keep on seeing. For years, I've been hearing, reading the punditry about, oh, Texas is about to go purple. This is, you know, the dream team. That's going to send it purple. No, okay, not the dream. It's going to be these folks. No, no, no. No, it's going to be the Castro twins. You, know, you keep on hearing that. No, it's Donald Trump. No, it's Donald So, but I think what you're going to see is all of that groundwork that has been done um, among, in the Republican Party, and the continuation of strong policies that are, you know, generally supported by Texans all across the state. I don't lose sleep. I think, I think we're going to be in a, in a good position, and I think going into 2018 with what will probably be a bad year for the Democrats and with a strong uh, ticket led by an incredibly popular governor, um, I think we're going to have a good year. Uh, well, unfortunately, we are just going to have to leave it there because we have a comedy troupe uh, coming up here in a second. But Lizzie Burr, Bur Burnt Orange Report, Deirdre DeLisi, DeLisi Communications, thanks so much Give for coming out applause. tonight. Yes, please clap. <laughs>
Well, it goes without saying, I'm Donald J. Trump, entrepreneur and billionaire. I have a plan to make America great again. I have a slogan that is, make America great again. And Secretary Clinton. I'm Hillary Rodham Clinton, champion of women's rights, Secretary of State, United States Senator, and First Lady. Former Secretary of State, former Senator, and former First Lady. Well, the lie detectors seem to be working in uh, order. I'm Canada's sorry, Dave, I, I hate to interrupt, I really do, uh, but Hillary claims to be the champion of women's rights. Uh, that's a joke. I am the best at women's rights. Uh, I, I really am, I am the best. Uh, I have binders full of women's rights. I have binders full of women. Mr. Trump, I have to ask that you and Secretary Clinton refrain from interrupting each other tonight, but mostly you. The first subject of our debate tonight is foreign policy. Iran is a hotbed for terrorist activities and is considered a danger to world peace. What is your opinion of how we should handle them? When I became Secretary of State, Tehran was close to acquiring materials to build a nuclear weapon. I put together an international coalition to apply pressure through sanctions, and eventually we got the agreement. We put a lid on their nuclear weapons program, making the world safer. I have said we will enforce that agreement, and that is what I plan to do as president. Mr. Trump, your response? I ran bad. Okay, continuing on the subject of foreign policy. Mr. Trump, you've been accused of having very strong personal ties to the Kremlin. Are these claims true? Look, dealing with the Kremlin is a lot simpler than people think. It's just that easy, folks. There's rules. Rule number one, don't let it get in direct sunlight. Rule number two, don't let the Kremlin get wet. And folks, this is the big one. Don't feed the Kremlin after midnight. Now, if we're talking Kremlins too, that's a different ballgame altogether. That's the one with all the different types of Kremlins, okay? Dave, you remember there was that lady Kremlin with the lipstick? Mmm. When I saw that lady Kremlin, I just wanted to move on her like a... Well, to, to answer your question, I think Kremlins too was much, much, much better. I'm sorry, was that the bell? Yeah, yeah, it was. It appears Mr. Trump does believe everything he just said. Uh, former Secretary Clinton, your response? Well, I've stood up to Russia in the past. I negotiated a treaty that placed tighter limits on deployed strategic weapons. Okay, well, truth be told, Russia was already meeting those limits by the time the treaty was implemented. But my name is on it. Alongside shards of shattered glass ceiling. Metaphorically speaking. Okay, and I'd just like to go on the... I, I'm sorry, I have to respond to one more wild Donald Trump very accusation. Very quickly, okay, very quickly, Thank please. you, this will be quick. I'd just like to go on record as saying that Gremlins 1 was clearly the superior film. The story arc was better paced. The emotional stakes had a depth that was clearly lacking from Gremlins 2. <laughs> Boom. A big hurdle for both of your campaigns has been likability. The question is, how important is it that the President of the United States be likable? 
I think it is important for the president to be likable. Luckily, the American public finds me very likable. They find me relatable. Americans find me trustworthy. In 2008, Barack Obama called me likable enough. I'll take it. Mr. Trump, listen, Bernie Sanders said some very nasty, nasty things about Hillary. And you know, nobody has ever said anything bad about me. Except Paul Ryan, just about every major Republican player, and every living U.S. president. But, folks, I am very, very liked by my base. I could stand on Fifth Avenue and shoot someone, and I wouldn't go to jail. Okay, I'd go to jail, but only for a few days. Only for a few hours. What can I say? I'm rich, and I'm white, and I will never face the consequences of any of my actions. Boom. Uh, to keep talking about character, in your own words, what are the most important qualities that the commander in chief... Patience. It's patience. <laughs> and also, the president, the president needs to be the most and the best and the greatest, just like me. Temperament and judgment, like me. Or Bill. Our next question is about energy. What steps will your energy policy take to meet our energy needs while at the same time remaining environmentally conscious? I have a comprehensive energy plan which you can read on my website. Donald has said that, the climate, cha that climate change is a hoax uh, invented by China. I think it's real. Wrong. I'm sorry, my lie, my lie detector is broken. My microphone is broken. Ding. Let's move on. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I don't get a chance to, to respond. It's a conspiracy, folks. I'm sorry, I didn't even realize you had an energy plan. Oh, I, I have an energy plan. It's an excellent plan. But let's talk about ISIS. They are the real problem, folks. You know, because, oh, and Hillary Clinton and Rosie O'Donnell, right? Right? And Barack Hussein Obama, did you see? And, and taxes and ISIS, you know? And folks, right, folks? Mrs. Clinton, would you like to respond? Mrs. Clinton. Oh, I'm sorry. I was just practicing my inauguration speech in my head. <laughs> no comment. I'd like each of you to share your views about the very serious issue of sexual assault in the military. As president, what specifically would you do to support victims of sexual assault? Sexual assault is a massive, massive problem in the military. The court system is a joke, folks. Part of the problem Nobody gets prosecuted. And victims, they're hesitant to come forward and blame their attackers. It can take one, two, or even 10 years for a victim to come forward. Trust me, I'd know. The 
idea of making Donald Trump responsible for handling sexual assault in the military is truly unsettling. <laughs> Donald talking about women, what he thinks about women, what he does to women, well, I think it represents exactly who he is. If you thought don't ask, don't tell was bad, how can you elect a president whose personal motto is just don't ask? I'm sorry, did her lie detector just make a rim shot? I think so, yes. I didn't know we had that option. This debate is rigged. Let's move on to our next topic. Listen, I have something I need to say about this topic. I have something that's super important. Go ahead. Listen, folks, when it comes to sexual assault in the military, I will take a hands-on approach. There it is. Moving on, our next topic of debate is the state of Texas. Republican candidates have carried Texas for 40 years, and usually by double-digit margins. However, Donald Trump's lead over Hillary Clinton in Texas is now within the margin of error. Mr. Trump, is there anything you'd like to say tonight to appeal to Texas Republicans? Vote for me, and I will build a big, big wall in Texas. Not only between Mexico and Texas, but also around the city of Austin. I vow to protect Texas from the dangerous influx of liberals and hippies from that city entering the rest of this great state. And Austinites, they're going to pay for it because they love paying for infrastructure. Mrs. Clinton, would you like to appeal directly to Texas voters? Yes, I would, Dave. You say margin of error, and I say Gary Johnson. I implore all Texans to think very, very carefully about how they'll vote in November. That brings us to our last question of the night. But first, we want to thank our sponsors for our time tonight, KUT, The Ticket, The Texas Travesty, and DQ. DQ, that's what I love about Texas. <laughs> we'll close with these final remarks from our candidates. Candidates, these will be your last statements for tonight. In exactly seven and only seven words, please summarize why Americans should elect you as President of the United States, Mrs. Clinton. <laughs> Are you serious? You have four more words. Oh, uh, um, children, families, glass ceiling. Mr. Trump. Make America great again. Immigrants. Vote for me. Okay, that's more than... November 28th, vote for me. I want to make this country great. We can do it together, folks. Mr. Trump. Bill Clinton. Okay. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, your 2016 nominees for President of the United States, God help us all. Good night. All right, let's see here. Chelsea Bunn as Hillary Clinton. You're a member of the improv troupe Loverboy, correct? Yes. All right. Uh, Steve Moore, Donald Trump. And uh, you're with the improv troupe Kincaid. All right. Kenna Benfield, you're the, uh, this is our Foley artist sound effects for tonight. And uh, he's with the improv troupe Sugar Water Purple. 
And then, of course, uh, Dave Buckman from the improv troupe, the Frank Mills, was our moderator tonight, also with Cold Town Theater. Uh, and we want to take, we've got just, let me check the uh, time real quickly. We've, uh, oh, we've got just a couple quick minutes. Uh, I wanted to ask you, um, so what's it like, how, how do you use an election to come up with material when there's so little to build on, you have to just fight for every scrap, and uh, it's 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 usually pretty hard. They're making it pretty easy this election cycle, uh, but because actually I, I might actually flip that because it is hard because it is absolutely very ridiculous. Every day you wake up and there's something completely new and something just shocking. Uh, uh, so it's hard to kind of top them with humor. Yeah. You know, we need like a base of reality in order to build something off of, and they keep breaking reality left and right. I was telling someone I thought one of the things that Saturday Night Live is doing really well on its little debate skits is that it's, it's not trying to top some of the candidates' own lines. Mm -hmm. They're actually using lines from the debates in the skits. They're not trying to, you know, reinvent the wheel. They're just like, yeah, here we go. Yeah, this is I ridiculous. I think that started kind of in that Seth Meyers era uh, during that, uh, that Hillary Sarah Palin uh, sketch kind of launched that whole kind of style of just taking their words. I mean, Sarah Palin was the start of this like this new era of political humor that was just like, what are you saying? <laughs> and we did incorporate some actual phrases and lines that they have said during this election cycle in this sketch, and we cut some things they actually said because we thought people would think it was not made up. <laughs> Uh, and now, uh, Chelsea and Steve, you're both, uh, you're both doing these characters in public and other events. Is that correct? Or uh, Yes. I, this, I have played um, Hillary Clinton as part of a show called Doper Than Dope by Heckle Her Productions. Uh, and uh, we'll mo most likely be playing her again at Doper Than Dope 2 in December. If she wins. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are you Steve? Uh, I'm not doing this any shows, but you can see me on the bus doing this or just <laughs> kind of walking around downtown doing it. All right, and that's actually a good segue. Before we let him go, anything left you all want to plug? Uh, yeah. It's like the end of the Howard Stern segment. Give me your plug. Sure, I'll plug Cold Town Theater's 10th anniversary. Uh, we have, yeah, thank you. Uh, we have shows uh, uh, all week, uh, Thursday. Uh, we're roasting a dog, uh, not on a spit, like we're going to be making fun of a dog, a live poodle. Uh, Friday, we have shows all night, uh, and uh, Sunday, we'll be at the Spider House having a great time. Uh, we're having P. Terry come and tell us some stories, the actual P. Terry. Uh, we're going to do some improv off of uh, with P. Terry. Can it, anything? Uh, Saturday night, opening up for the Frank Mills, Sugar Water Purple. Yeah, that's about it. Excellent. <laughs> Bless up. And you, anything else, Chelsea? Uh, yeah, of course, my improv troupe, uh, Loverboy Comedy, plays Wednesdays at Cold Town Theater at 8.30, which means I am going there after this. <laughs> well, we'll let you go then. Uh, <laughs> give them a big round of applause again, please. You can find Kincaid on Twitter at Kincaid Comedy, I think, Twitter, something like that. He, he tweets at 2 a.m., folks. All right, Jay. Speaking of Twitter, um, if you're not following uh, Ben Philpot and me, why aren't you? I'm at by J Root, B Y J A Y R W O T. Yep, and, I'm Ben and, uh, at Ben Philpot K U T. 
Um, and of course, we have the ticket has its own Twitter feed at the ticket 2016. Um, but really, it's just me and Jay retweeting the same stuff yeah. on those sites. But uh, um, I think we're going to wrap it up here so that everybody can uh, you know get another plate of food or uh, adult beverage, except for the college students that are here. Um, that, uh, let's see here. So uh, that's it this week from the ticket. Saying thanks so much again for everybody that came out here tonight. Uh, thanks also to Lizzie Bird, Deirdre Delisi, uh, Chelsea Bunn, Steve Moore, Kenna Benfield, and Dave Buckman for the great uh, performance we just saw. We've only got we've only got three weeks before the election, and we'll bring you at least a couple more episodes before November eighth. We're also talking about a little after party. That's right. We may have an after party of the ticket. Uh, stay tuned for details there. Plus a couple more after the election. Uh, but if you want, uh, well, I guess that kind of ruined my line there. <laughs> but if you want to listen to any of our other episodes, go to theticket2016.com or find us on iTunes, Google Play. Stitcher, or any other podcast client you use. The Ticket is a co-production of KUT News and the Texas Tribune. KUT Managing Editor Matt Largy helped us run the show tonight on video Woo! and audio. Uh, he's, he's absolutely the best. He's huge, really, folks, really. Uh, and our theme music is by Ben Root. Thanks for listening. Thanks for coming out. Thank you. <laughs>